Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch? Tonight we watched uh, an episode of CSI called Chaos Theory. And this we believe... <laughs> Wait. We need to... What did you say before we watched this? Time for some Chaos Theory. <laughs> yes. That's all I wanted. <laughs> You're a simple woman. I'm a simple woman with simple needs. So yeah, we... Uh, we... This, I believe, is the first episode of CSI that either one of us have ever I've seen. I've never seen an episode of this show... <laughs> You've never seen an episode of this show. We don't know what's going on. We're being dropped into the streets of Las Vegas with nary a clue. But, yeah, it was interesting. So I guess the obvious question is, you're a a consumer of pop culture about murder and mysteries. So why have you avoided this show like the proverbial plague? (sighs) Honestly, honestly, like, isn't this one of the top, wasn't this a top show in terms of the ratings for years? Yes. Yeah. I to me, crime scene investigation isn't inherently that interesting. 
And I also know enough to know that most of this is bullshit. So it's like, I think I tend to like things that are formulaic, but still within the realm of believability. When you have a bunch of like hard bodied models running around pretending to be CSI technicians going around and like having like magical things happen basically in the name of science. Uh, I think I was just kind of like, mm, pass. And also, weirdly enough, like sometimes things set in places that are really sunny. I'm not a fan. I almost feel like they're going to give me a headache. Why? I, I like winter. I like cold. So if I'm going to watch like a police procedural, I'd rather, I'd t- typically rather it be somewhere that's a little bit uh, more, has four seasons. So if it was like CSI Manitoba, you're oh, in. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. That sounds great. 100%. That's weird. That's a weird quirk that I have, but I like cold. Or at least the possibility of things getting cold. I don't know how to describe it. That's why you're with me. <laughs> you're a cool customer. That's right. Um, and like, but you know, this was, so I'm just explaining why maybe this was not on the top of my to watch list. I also think I always confused it with NCIS for some reason. Cause they have, it's like what the same letters, I'm not paying attention basically. That's the, uh, Donald Belisario uh, created program about the Navy. Am I, I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. So it's totally different than this, but again, same, same letters, different combination. Donald Belisario, of course, best known for his work on uh, Tales of the Gold Monkey and Magnum P.I., Quantum Leap. He's your hero. The great Mr. Belisario. We salute him. <laughs> Never seen that show as well. But, uh, but yeah, so we got, into, uh, we got into CSI, I guess, about 19 years too late. Yes, this particular episode, Chaos Theory, was the second... Episode of the second season originally aired October 4th, 2001. Wow, shit. This is right after 9-11. That's right. Nation <laughs> was still reeling. It was a new world. It was a new world. And this, uh, I guess, probably, maybe it helped, maybe it didn't. I guess we'll talk about that. <laughs> and I'm not sure we even agree on this. We haven't really talked about it this much. I don't know how I feel about this. Okay. I don't know how I feel about this. There's some things I liked. There's some things I don't think I cared for. I'm, I'm interested to get into the meat of it. How did this show begin? So the show kicks off with a gratuitous shot of a pretty young lady walking around a dorm room in a towel with a bunch of folks running around around her, basically. As somebody who lived in a dorm in a college campus, I've never seen a dorm this crowded at once. <laughs> <laughs> Lanny... What a dog. What a good girl. She wants to contaminate a crime scene. Isn't that kind of what you want? Her to contain. I want our dog to contaminate no, a crime scene. No, I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be a, a funny anecdote? No. Wouldn't you enjoy it if I contaminated a crime scene? Just I don't want... to do to do So... What? It would be fun if you had the guilt of denying someone justice on your hands. You yes. think that would amuse you? I think you'd get a kick out of it. So... We see a young lady brooding out a rainy window. Well, first, let's talk about how, how, let me just make an observation. The dorm is very busy and very active. Yes. And that kind of is important in a way for what the story, how the story ultimately wraps up and what it suggests. Yeah. But why don't you tell us what happens next? Yeah, that's important. You know, they're setting the scene for sure. Busy, kind of chaotic college dorm. This young woman is brooding out a rainy window. 
She's all packed. She's ready to go. And she's looking out into the parking lot. Seems like a cab has pulled up for her. And she disappears. People don't just vanish. That's a molecular impossibility. Ha. That was a fun line from the episode. Yes, but I get ahead of myself. Well, now it's the, the CSI's team to figure out what happened. If she couldn't have vanished physically, then what did happen? Why is she no longer around? They're there four days later. She never got into that cab we saw in the parking lot. So something happened. And she also left all her bags behind. So something happened in between. Even left a lamp on. She left a lamp on. So lots of kind of conflicting clues here. We um we quickly meet our main CSI guy who is named I believe Gil Grissom. I think that's right. No no relation to Gus, I guess. I kept on wanting to call him Gus. Yeah, that, I kept... that, of, that of course is the name of the uh, Mercury astronaut who I believe is from Mitchell, Indiana. Oh, he's a he's a Hoosier. He's a Hoosier. We're proud of uh, Gus Grissom. I like Gus Grissom. I remember studying the Apollo missions. And he died horribly. Uh, so that's a tragedy, national tragedy. We brought up 9-11. We brought up the, the Apollo 1 disaster. What's next? Well, next, Gil Grissom's going to take us through it. He seems kind of like a pretentious dude, don't you think? Like, I think they're kind of going for quirky, but he, he keeps on like saying all these, like, if this guy actually was talking to you in real life, I think you'd find him insuff- insufferable. Because it's like, what you're saying isn't that deep, but you clearly think it's really <laughs> deep. So he kicks everyone out of the room. Except for like some older dude who I'm pretty sure was in spotlight, and they see they say nothing's really out of place. It doesn't look like there was a struggle here at the very least. So this doesn't really look like the crime scene in the disappearance. So now that we've kind of hooked you in, we go to the famous introduction where they famously use the Who song "Who Are You." I believe other spinoffs of the CSI uh, series actually also use Who songs. Yeah, like Law & Order, this show had a lot of spinoffs. I believe there's a CSI Miami, a CSI New York. Mm-hmm. I'd be, like, this, I've heard, I I don't know that much about the show. I've heard a lot of the techniques used are by, maybe based in some truth, but are very unrealistic, which doesn't really set it apart too much from most procedurals. I'd say a lot of, I'd say most modern day procedurals really bend the truth when it comes to policing, what lawyers are supposed to do technology and in, in involving you know crime scene investigation so that's not that that's not that unusual i think but i've heard that this i I've, I've read stuff like where people like juries think that you know the csi effect yeah the csi effect where juries are almost like well why didn't you find this with your fancy flashing blue and purple lights and it's like well that doesn't that's not real <laughs> i think the most annoying thing about it is when they zoom in on a blurry image and somehow the blurry image becomes crisp like zooming in somehow reveals the photographic image to contain more data than it originally contained which makes no sense to me that's all bad i think i guess i get more irked nowadays when things get stuff wrong listen i'm not trying to be a party pooper i'm not trying to be a party pooper but like it's, a, it's one thing if something is kind of bent a little bit to make something more entertaining. But if you're just, like, making shit up, I don't know. Sounds like you're being a bit of a party pooper. I don't like that stuff. I w- to me, a good writer takes the truth and, like, doesn't, like, I don't know. You should just, if you find something like being a crime scene technician interesting, why not, de- 
why not try to depict it in a realistic way? Because, you know, maybe that'll take a little more creativity on the part of the writer, but maybe that's a challenge that should be accepted instead of taking it and boiling it down to basically making it magic. You know, <laughs> like if, if you could say, oh, if you replaced these people with like wizards, maybe it would be the same outcome where they could, we can do spells and the spells <laughs> tell us who did the murder, you know, then that, that's probably not very good in my opinion. We get to watch them go to work and start processing all the evidence in the storm. Uh, one lady even uh, goes down through a garbage chute and there's a little bit of a creepy moment because as she opens up the chute to go down there, the, the, like the, the door of the chute snaps shut. So somebody has to put in something in there to prop it open. Uh, meanwhile, there's a, a Grissom is in the woman's room. He sees something white on the wall, which he actually tastes, and it is toothpaste. Why did the woman put toothpaste on her wall? A cheap version of spackle. Because she was preparing to leave and she wanted to get her security deposit back. Yeah. And so there's a little hole in the wall. So just puts toothpaste in there. Yes. And um, meanwhile, uh, we're basically at this point, we're kind of just divided up between the different members of the CSI team. And another m member of the team who is a, a brunette lady whose name I do not know um, is looking at. Is it Sarah? Sarah. Okay. Sarah is looking at the mattress in the room with some special lights and some special solutions to, I guess, perhaps bring out fluids that may be present. And she finds both blood and semen. That doesn't sound good. No. But in, in terms of the garbage chute, even though the blonde lady who's going through that, what was her name? Played, played by Meg Haugenberger, I believe. Is that how you pronounce that? Meg, Meg, Meg whatever. Meg goes down the garbage chute, finds it empty, does see some some red splattering, which looks a bit like blood at first, but it's just pizza. So nobody's in the chute. Um, and another a, a dude in a in a hat, kind of a brunette white dude, checks out the camera situation. Lots of cameras on this dorm. It is a college campus, and there was one covering the hallway, but somebody ominously covered up the lens. At the time, this woman vanished. Sounds to me like we've got a lot of good clues. Yeah, there's some, there was some shifty stuff in this dorm that night. And so the guy uh, is is leaning on... The, 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 he does find, though, he does see the suspect's hand. So he can actually pinpoint a spot on the wall where he can check for prints. So uh, when, he put the, when he was covering the camera, his hand was visible. Yes. So we can get the, the, the print of the man who covered the camera. I thought that was cool. That was I like that moment where there was like, okay, here's a problem, but now we have actually like you're you're making uh taking the lemons and making some crime scene lemonade. Meanwhile, kind of in an odd moment, kind of go, that goes somewhere. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's kind of just weird. The woman's parents, the young woman who went missing, her parents barge in and are freaking out at Grissom, who is the head of the CSI team. He kind of basically is like, you know, you guys need to let me work and try to figure out what happened to your daughter. You know, that's a reasonable thing to say. But it's what's weird to me is like, are these guys cops? I guess they're they must be agents of the law. But like, who are they beholden to? Where are the where are the like uniform police officers? Uh, what what like what is this? <laughs> what's, go what's going on? <laughs> 
My, they're, they're obviously cops. My, I, I, they're cops, but they're, but they're specialists in CSI things. Eh, I guess I'm used to the shows where the CSI people are there before the police even show up and they're basically there to tell the police, all right, the victim put up a real struggle or, oh, we found semen and da, 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 And this, it's interesting because they're basically the investigator. They're doing everything. So that's kind of interesting. It also sort of gives them, for the audience, I think, kind of the feeling of like omnipotence. They do all, they see all, they know all. They're, they're the end all of this investigation, the end all be all, the alpha and the omega. To me, maybe it deprived them a bit of vulnerability. Like they always have moments. Sometimes there's moments in other shows where you're like, oh, are they going to figure it out? Or the, oh, the forensics didn't work out. So now they're going to have to get circumstantial evidence or the circumstantial evidence is falling apart. But the forensics prove something in this. They're kind of they're doing it all and they're they're good at what they do. So when things are working out, you're kind of like there's there. I, there was never a moment in my mind where I'm like, oh, no, what are they going to do? And and to me, that sapped some of the suspense, but it also made it weirdly kind of comforting. So, so you felt they didn't seem fallible enough. No, they didn't seem fallible. They were doing interrogations. Yeah, I, I I would agree that was unrealistic, and it wasn't very dramatically interesting. And uh, I'm sure perhaps if we watched a bunch of episodes, we could tell differences between the characters. But it almost seemed like at certain points, you could just change the names on the script and. Any other character could have said any other character's dialogue. A hundred percent. And I'm I'm sure it's like one of those things. I think this is a series that's perfect for like binge watching on like a rainy day where you're just like, I'm going to just cram in like 800 CSIs. And you'd probably like see arcs even and like, oh, this character gets more confident or this character learns to work with others. So I'm not I'm not shitting on it. And I don't pretend that we know everything about it just from seeing one episode from seeing one episode. It felt like, OK, these are all different attractive young people for the most part. And then Grissom, the older guy who's leading the team. And that's basically it. And they all look like I was joking at the, they all look like, you know, models, you know? And like, to me, like, I'm not, I, I like it when people look like people and like, you know what I mean? Like if everyone is the same kind of conventional, attractive look, I honestly have a hard time telling people apart. <laughs> you know and if everyone's like attractive but like looks a bit different or like you know isn't necessarily the conventional look then i i just there's something i like about that this felt like a cw show do you know what i mean i know what you mean where i'm like oh my god everyone's just beautiful how am i supposed to tell everyone apart beautiful in the same way the kind of delicate looking model-esque so with that said was there any character you found especially interesting or memorable i found grissom irritating uh but no, no one really stood out except for Grissom. You didn't really like him. I didn't care for him, no. Interesting. Did you like him? Uh, I didn't dislike him. I didn't hate him. I'm not saying I hated him. I would I would watch like 10 of these. But I'm like, hmm. So what about him did you find him on? Just his cockiness? He's cocky. He, he's like fake deep. He's like quoting philosophers and it's like, just do your job, man. Come on. Not him. He This wasn't his fault, Grissom, but the show seemed very dismissive of the parents of the missing girl, too. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's that's unusual for uh, 
a crime show to not be more sympathetic towards the uh, victim's relatives. Unless the victim's relatives are part of the, you know, part of the crime. But this this episode, as we will discuss, made some other choices that were very atypical of what you'd expect from crime shows mm-hmm. as well. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I really liked some of those choices. I loved some of those choices. <laughs> I thought they were actually pretty great. And I thought, ultimately, I'll say this, I've, I've been maybe a bit harsh on some of the characterization stuff, but I thought what this episode had to say about, like, life actually is really important and resonant. So... I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting my criticisms out of the way, but I think when, when it comes to the actual point of the episode, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty, I actually would say it's pretty relevant and good and something that people should keep in mind at all times, no matter who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm having a little bit of uh, trouble discussing the characters because I'm thinking about the ending, which I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so let's get back into it. So the prints they find on the wall near the camera of the person who covered the camera match up to some douchey frat kid. And he tells them, oh, it's just a pledge prank. We went into that room and stole a bunch of the, uh, you know, furniture uh, and took it all out. But we we didn't see the missing girl. You know, he actually turns, excuse me, he turns out to have dated the missing girl. But he says, you know, she wasn't my type. She was dating some other older guy and you know whatever and oh, oh an older man a young woman dating an older man no, that that's probably the least suspicious thing about the whole episode it's a death sentence baby sorry <laughs> everybody knows that's trouble <laughs> kevin and i have an age cap relationship I'm, I'm i'm just a little bit older than anya just a little bit you know so they're all like hmm and, uh, and then we get one of the cheesiest lines in the whole episode that I loved. What what does Grissom come out with at this point? Now that they don't really think the frat people had anything to do with it, they have them on camera. They're carrying around a bunch of furniture. They don't seem to be carrying around a body. So what, is, what does Grissom say about all this? This is the worst place you can be on a missing persons case. A dead end. Put that in the no shit category. I mean, isn't that the worst place you can be on any crime? <laughs> isn't that the worst place you can be in any job you have or any work you do? See, that's like a Grissom is always saying that shit. And, and he's not like he's not like self-deprecating enough where I'm like, ah, oh, he's just, you know, kind of quirky. Like he's like he would be like offended, I think, if we people weren't like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But there are plenty of other clues. What about the blood on the mattress? Okay, we mentioned that there was blood and semen on the mattress, but it actually wasn't a match for pages. Um, although, disturbingly enough, the talk screen for the blood showed evidence of Rufinol. Uh, which What's is, that? It's a date rape drug. So somebody was presumably raped on the bed, unfortunately. And they, I guess, hear through the, the CSI team, hears through the grapevine that, unfortunately, Paige's former roommate was raped and then dropped out of school. Even though she never even reported it. Yeah, she never reported it. She uh, left the school, and now Paige has left the school. So it's a little suspicious that you had a one woman attacked, and then the next one, another woman went missing in the same room at the same college on the in the fair halls of Western Las Vegas University. So they basically trick all of the men in the dorm into giving 
their DNA and they use that information to identify the uh, attacker of uh, Paige's roommate. A ne'er-do-well named Kevin. The guy's name was Kevin. (laughs) Now I always pay attention when characters are named Kevin. It's very disturbing. Yeah. See, I don't get to do that because there's not really a lot of characters named Anya. We can watch Anastasia, the uh, Don, the, the Bluth movie. Uh, and they call her Anya throughout it. That was the only time as a child I ever felt represented. But like we could see movies all the time where there's evil characters named Kevin. Is is Anastasia an evil character? No, she's a good girl. So she doesn't like drug people and rape them? I mean, a, a few times, but it was, it was a mistake, obviously. Just a little misunderstanding. It's a very dark take on the... Uh, the princess formula <laughs> i <laughs> i don't want i don't want anya to be a big name okay i don't want the fucking fake ass irish people you know the irish americans in the united states clinging on to that name and making it like caitlin you know i don't want it to be the next caitlin and i don't think it ever will be because it doesn't make any sense in terms of its fucking spelling a i n e doesn't make any sense so i think i'm clear but I just don't you want to go to like Disneyland and see the name Anya on a on a spoon? No, I don't need that consumer bullshit. Because I've had that experience with Kevin many a time. Oh well, it's like they knew I was coming. <laughs> exactly, it's very validating. Makes me feel special. Well, if I wanted that, I could just go to Ireland and go to any gift shop in Ireland, and they would cater right to me. But no, I don't want. I don't want it because that sucks. Because you 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 know you're walking around being a nice sweet guy. And then suddenly you're being bombarded with Kevin the baseball rapist on on the CSI episode. That must be kind of jarring. You almost feel like, oh, geez. Bad representation of Kevins everywhere. Yeah, I have a hard lot. And Kevin is also a Gaelic name, so I don't want them doing some bullshit where, with Anya where they're going to like anglify it or something. So you're keeping your name under wraps. Yeah, I'm keeping, I, don't, I don't want this kind of out. So don't, don't, don't name your kids Anya. <laughs> That's a secret between you and me. <laughs> maybe we should cut this part out of the episode yeah, maybe we all should. together. Yeah, we don't want these listeners taking uh, taking notes. But anyway, so this guy, this douchebag, is a baseball player on the st- student, you know, on the varsity team. He, uh, they tell him that his DNA was a match for the rape, and so they arrest him. As if that would happen. I'm sorry, like I don't feel like college campuses have a history of taking. Uh, rape accusations against their star players very seriously. So that this sort of felt like wish fulfillment that he gets arrested on the baseball field and hauled off. But in fairness, it wasn't because of anything the university did. It was because of the investigation mm. conducted by the crime scene technicians. That's a good point. They're like bringing justice to a kind of a justiceless situation. Right. I that's a good point. So was was this person also responsible for? Uh, our main disappearance. Well, it turns out he could not be because he was actually at a baseball game that day. So he was he was gone. They confirm his alibi. So he is a, a rapist and a bad person, but he is not their suspect for the page, the disappearance of Miss Paige Reinkoff. Sounds like they're at another dead end. And you know, that's the worst place you can be on a missing persons investigation. Say that again. Sounds like they're at another dead end. And you know... That's the worst place you can be on a missing persons investigation. I'm I'm gonna should they just pack it up? I mean two dead ends. Two dead ends. They're at the worst place twice. Why not just criminy? I mean j- just wrap it up. Just g- stop doing this to yourself, CSI team. Just gonna get hurt again. 
What does happen? What's their next big lead? The video team strikes gold yet again. The video team was probably my favorite because that felt like the most like, okay, you caught, you know, if you had good video, maybe you could do something with that. Although the, uh, the zoom enhanced bullshit was pretty silly. Um, so basically they find that a silver Volvo looped around the dorm like six times the night of the disappearance. And they noticed that uh, this has this Volvo has a pretty pertinent detail on it. What what is that, Kevin? It has a university parking pass. And they figure out cross you know crossing the like vehicle type and stuff. And they look throughout all the registrations and they find Professor Robert Woodbury, a tenured po- philosophy professor, uh, owns that car. And so they actually break into the, they go into the car first and they see that a blanket over a suspicious body looking shape, but it's actually just a bunch of golf clubs. And I don't know any professors that I went to school with who would have like golf. I don't know. That, that seems like a weird thing to have. I don't know. I just think that golf is kind of like maybe the business professors would have that, but like the, some young philosophy professor driving around with golf clubs. Uh, this may confirm your uh, stereotypes, but it, I, I know many a law school professor who drove around with golf clubs in their vehicles. Exactly. <laughs> I just would think better of the philosophy department. <laughs> what do you have against golf, young lady? I, just, I have nothing against golf. You can, that's fine. Whatever makes you happy. I just, I think of like philosophy, like if I picture a philosophy professor, I picture like, like an old guy like reading or like a young person standing outside smoking and looking kind of, you know, mysterious. I don't, I don't picture this guy just kind of was like a nerd. Well, he was involved. He was a married man who was involved also with one of his students, Mm -hmm. a student who went missing. In fact, yeah, not looking, not looking good for the old prof. The CSI team doesn't find Paige's body in the trunk of the car, but they do find strands of what looks to be her hair in the front seat. And one thing that I did not care for about this show was that every time they do some, like, they'll do, like, little, like, reconstructions of, like, what might have happened. It's not, like, definitely what happened, but what's might have happened. And and that's fine. Whatever. Cool. But then they, like, do these, like, little animations (laughs) of, like, what it's happening at, like, a microscopic or an internal level. And I hated these. They were, like, gruesome. In this case, we have a close-up of her scalp, like the skin in her scalp, and then the hair follicles being ripped out. I'm like, I didn't need to see this. How else could you have known what they meant when they talked about a hair being pulled? Good point. Good point. Because you were saying, Kevin, what did they mean? What hair? And And I said, just watch. Hair being pulled out of your scalp with the follicle? What could it? I think you're absolutely right. This this show does not have a lot of confidence in the intelligence of its audience. I was worried at the end they were going to do some final like thing where they was going to like wrap up all the, you know, all the body injury things. And I was going to be like, Bleh. big montage. Yeah, big, big montage. <laughs> Here's the scalp and the bones and the explosion. And you're like, oh, my God, just stop. I don't I, I don't like gruesome stuff. You're in the long you're in the wrong line of work, sister. You mean the wrong line of work? We we're podcasters. Pretty, it's pretty I write nasty about, business. My day job is writing about business. <laughs> that can get pretty bloody sometimes. Oh. So the professor being a brain genius actually 
waives uh, the right to an attorney during his interrogation. He does confess. Well, actually, when they're when they're in, uh, interrogating the professor in his office, he says he did cheat on his wife with a missing student, but he he didn't kill her. He really liked her. He might have wanted to say goodbye or try to convince her not to go when he drove up to the dorm that night, but he was not looking to hurt her. Um, but they do find that his house called the girl that night. So that's suspicious. That's highly suspicious. What do you make of it, Anya? Well, I make of it that this professor isn't very bright because he waives his right to an attorney. Or he, he, he says he doesn't need an attorney when he's talking to the police. Or the CSI team, whoever they may be, <laughs> and uh, the wife comes in to the to the office, and she says she was the one who actually called the student because, unbeknownst to her husband, uh, she knew about the affair. She knew about the affair and uh, knew that this affair with this student was actually pretty serious. So she took Paige for like a ride and said she explained the facts of life to her. She took her for a ride, literally a car ride, not in the in the parlance of the mob. No. <laughs> she fitted her out with some cement shoes at Payless Shoe Source. <laughs> so meanwhile, um, there's some unfortunate news that comes about. Uh-oh. What is point. it? Well, a homeless guy at the dump fa- finds a body in, um, in the debris from the trash compactor. And it's all smushed up and gross. I said, yuck. Don't like that. You just laid it on the line. You were pretty blunt. Blah. Yuck, you said. I'm very squeamish. So the hypothesis is that our missing girl, Paige, was killed with a car which crushed her against the dumpster. And actually, they find some paint on the dumpster, which through scientific mumbo jumbo, they're able to take that paint, a little bit of paint on the dumpster, and use it to track down the car. I'm not sure how that works, but let's pretend it does. Because, well, you jumped ahead a bunch. So basically they find that she went, she was not, she was dead when she went through the compactor. She didn't die via crushing. Right. And she, we also get a treat of the graphic of bones breaking in the compactor, which was blah. Um, They find, and then then a possible solution actually does arise pretty shortly after this, based on what they find about the dumpster. Well, they tracked down the guy that uh, whose car hit the dumpster. Tell us about that fella. He's kind of this schlub, but he uh, he says he was racing home that night because his wife thought she was going into labor, and he swiped the dumpster. And they're like, "Well, you know, did you hit anybody?" And he's like, "No, no, no I just swiped the dumpster." And so they um. They find that his car has no indication that he hit Paige. He didn't crush her against the dumpster. There's no evidence for that. So they're back to square one, as usual. Sounded to me like they're at a dead end. But that's not a bad place to be, is it? Kevin, it's the worst place to be. You're not listening. For an investigation for a missing person's... Well, now maybe a homicide investigation. It's the worst place you could possibly be. So Grissom has a strategy for getting everybody back on track because now they've, they've basically struck out three times so he wants to get them on back on track so he actually takes a page from mr philosophy's professor's book this and is he, what he says yeah he says hl minken once said there's an easy solution to every human problem 
neat, plausible, and wrong. So if the solution to our problem is not neat, plausible, and wrong, then it could be messy, unlikely, and right. A butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil. We get a hurricane off the coast of Florida. Chaos theory. Random events. The wholesale rejection of linear thought. If we apply it to Paige Reichhoff in our case at this particular moment in time, then we can say life is unpredictable. So what did you make of that? I think when you're studying crimes, in this case, they're studying a death, a suspicious death. I think being open to something unexpected happening, you know, as long as you're not closing yourself off to more likely theories uh, is a good idea. I think you should be following the evidence. And it seems like that's what Grissom is encouraging his team to do. So what's their next step? Well, basically, they decide to go back to Paige's room. And here's something a little trippy happens. Uh, they go back to uh, Paige's room. Grissom and uh, Sarah, uh, one of the technicians. And Grissom starts talking to Sarah as if she is the missing girl. And she kind of metamorphosizes for a moment into the missing girl. Like she's role-playing, trying to figure out what was in the missing girl's head in the moments before she went missing. And they actually switched the actresses, which is kind of fun. Right. Uh, and they're looking around and they, well, if she was moving out, getting ready to leave and she wants a security deposit back, one of the last things she would do would be to empty her trash. There's no trash can in the room. Hmm. Well, that's odd. That is odd. So Grissom and Sarah walk down the hallway to... Well, first they barge into some uh, young lady's room to see if they can borrow a trash can. Right. And then they go down to empty the trash. I remember we established way back to the beginning of the episode that the trash chute door closes shut unexpectedly. And so they realize that it's very possible that Paige could have accidentally dropped her trash can down the trash chute. Which means she'd have if she wanted your security deposit back, she'd have to go down to the dumpster to retrieve it. So they realized that Paige, in her effort to get back the trash can, would have had to really kind of climb over the dumpster to try to get it back. It's not there's no easy access to getting that thing back. So they have the uh, the blonde lady who's played by Megan. Right. They have her go into the dumpster and she finds that by climbing kind of behind the dumpster between the wall of the building and the dumpster, she's able to kind of lean over and start fishing around for the trash can. And what is their, what is their final theory on what happened to this unfortunate so co-ed? Paige is reaching to kind of squeezing in to try to get the dumpster out. Maybe she pushes the dumpster a little bit into the street and it's at that moment that the man driving races by, strikes the dumpster, killing her, never even knowing he did it. So you have uh, the solution to the death of this woman is that no crime occurred. It was just a tragic freak accident. The parents, when they are told this, they don't accept it. It doesn't bring them the closure they wanted. They want someone to blame, some revenge. And... Uh, Meg says to Grissom, you don't understand that sometimes truth doesn't bring closure. 
What do you think of that? That uh, what do you think of Meg's theory? I think that's true, and I I think it's it's an interesting choice that the solution to this mystery is that there was no crime, and you can imagine the parents pursuing realistic sounding leads like the ones in this episode. It made me think uh, one thing you and I have spent a lot of time on is investigating a cold case in Indiana. We even did a podcast about it. And there's, Listen to the murder sheet wherever you listen to podcasts. There's lots of very plausible sounding leads just like the leads in this episode, which ultimately most of them obviously didn't go anywhere. So is this some sort of uh, a meta-fictional commentary on the nature of investigation is it a metafictional commentary on the nature of detective shows uh i don't know what did you make of it all i thought it was a really bold move to make it an accident and i loved it because you know i think people there's there's been a number of cases you know that become sort of popular online or amongst people who follow true crime and it is a question about whether it could have been an accident a suicide or a homicide and i think people are People, when they lose someone, are conditioned to want to channel their anger or their energy onto something. And it might be very hard to accept that something is either a suicide or an accident. Maybe even harder to accept for some people than accepting that the loved one died in a violent manner at the hands of somebody. Because at least in that case, you can have a villain to blame for your misfortune and you can hate them. But if it's just like the school didn't take care of the garbage chute, so it caused her to go down there and getting get into a situation where a, a, a person who was not a bad person accidentally just clipped a dumpster and, and it killed her. This That's just totally random. It didn't have to happen. There was so many ways that that could have been avoided if she hadn't, if she'd taken her trash out earlier, um, if she hadn't let go of the garbage can. If the guy hadn't gotten, if his wife hadn't gone into a false labor, if he hadn't, if he'd driven more carefully, if he'd taken another route, um, you know, if someone had gone down with her, like there's so many ways that she didn't have to die. And the fact that it just all kind of settled in together into this path that ultimately led to their daughter's death. It's like unbearable, I imagine. Just all random. Just because you really want something to make sense. A lot of things don't make sense, whether it's violence, whether it's accidents, tragedies. It just doesn't make any goddamn sense. And, like, you kind of have to just accept it, you know? And I think this episode's making the point that, like, if you have to go where the evidence is. And, and if it's just, it, if it's the evidence is going in a way that you don't like or doesn't feel right to you, maybe you need to think about that and reconsider you know, and obviously, you know, one would hope that the parents would do that eventually once once they once the pain is once they're able to maybe seek counseling or something. But I imagine that would be really hard, hard to do it with your child. I think they'd probably hire private detectives and investigate the frat guy and the professor and stuff for many, many years. Yeah, and call, cause all untold, untold misery yeah. themselves. I mean, what what I would do is probably I would if I were the parents in this situation, I'd channel my energy at the school and be like, "You guys had a dangerous trash shoot, and you should be fucking fixing all of them on campus so this doesn't happen to people." I would probably blame the school. You think like a civil attorney? 
Yeah. Oh, do you think they have a civil case here? I'm not sure they do. I don't because, think they do. Because it wasn't the faulty door that caused her, the faulty door of the chute that caused her injury. It was her choice to go down and lean into the dumpster at night on a rainy night to boot. So it was kind of a, she assumed a certain amount of risk there. If I had money, I would sue them just to make them look bad. I'd want to punish somebody. So I'd punish the school probably. Maybe get a little settlement out of it. Maybe get a little settlement out of it. I uh, And make them look like trashy, bad. You know, it looks like a shitty school anyway, so whatever. Yeah, it's a, it seems like the parents are maybe of the mind that it has to be homicide and, and they're going to go on to cause so much misery over that. It's like, and I think that's when something bad happens to you, some people do want to like just hurt other people even and, and justify it to themselves that they're seeking truth or doing the right thing. And it's sometimes people go past the point of what, what what's reasonable. I guess my question to you as... The parents didn't get closure. Did you, as a viewer, get the closure or satisfaction you were looking for watching a crime show when it ended that way? I did, yeah. The question is, why did Paige disappear and what happened to her once they found her body? And that was answered. And it it was, if maybe if it had been handled poorly, it would have been um, unsatisfying if it had just been an accident especially if they built it up to be this whole sinister goings on. Instead, it's like they looked at leads as they rose up and then dismissed them. And what was left once they sketched out the scenario was an accident. The writing was strong enough to actually handle an unexpected twist of this being an accident. So I, I was I was pretty impressed with this ending. I thought it was bold. I could understand why some people maybe would be upset about the switch in the formula. But overall, I was I was I thought it was a. Uh, really well handled and made a really solid point about tragedy. I, I enjoyed the episode a lot. I thought the ending really changed my whole perception of the episode, which at the point seemed mediocre, a little bit plodding. But, but by the end, I really appreciated what the episode was saying and I understood some of the choices it was making. What is your unvarnished take? I, I found this I found this episode to be a bit like the effect of splashing some luminol on a seemingly blank wall. There's more there than you can see at first glance. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me that's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on facebook and instagram and you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com we're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s so all of those spell out two as t-o thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening